Green Future Growers, welcome to Season 3. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes for free or follow on your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing. So, we'll just roll with it and see where we end up. Sure, yeah, we're, 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 not, we're not in any big schedule. So, we're, we're, we're yours for as long as you need us. Okay. And it's Johnny Appleseed Organic. Is that right? Yes, it's Johnny Appleseed Organic and Johnny Appleseed Authentic. Um, Awesome. Well, what you probably don't know is I'm an elementary teacher by trade, and my site for teaching teachers is AuthenticTeacher.com because I think that's awesome. So you are so on brand. Um. (laughs) And I, I think it's important to be authentic. I would, I came up with that because, so I walked in, I was teaching on a reservation and I walked into, they actually have a trading post. And one of my parents from the year before was like, I miss you. I miss your math challenges in your Facebook group. And I was like, that's it. Authentic math. And I like to create math lessons out of the garden or reading lessons that like, you know, tie in, like we were doing in second grade at the end of the year. And and then I was teaching fourth grade at the time, still doing multiplication tables, arrays. And so, you know, I like to show how in a garden, there's all sorts of arrays. I'm sure we're going to be talking about apple orchards today and, and the arrays you can build with like, and I've been thinking like, I should do a seed project this spring video on parents making arrays with their students because that is the first step to multiplication is to you know what in the beginning when you first last year i got to teach third grade and it was so fun i was like what these kids have never ever done multiplication it seemed weird to me because when i taught second grade you know every teacher around the school is using a different curriculum when i taught second grade my kids were getting multiplication at the end of the year so we're doing the arrays and when you teach multiplication you actually don't say times you say we are making two groups of three two groups of three make six and you teach kids how to make two rows and that's where it all starts where one row two rows or you know two time tables then three times it was the best teaching kids i love teaching third grade anyway totally off topic wasting your time sorry no it's totally fine education is a huge part of company too so so it's definitely um you mentioned being on brand it's i think we 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 work well together well i'm curious where did you come up with that name but let me introduce you and we'll go from there so okay no questions we're good no no i think we're fine okay welcome to the green organic podcast today it is tuesday march 2nd dr seuss's birthday and we've already been talking elementary ed if the pre-chat is there uh listeners you'll know if it got cut out we were talking about building arrays and multiplication because i have from johnny appleseed organic and johnny appleseed authentic jeff and charles today from jacksonville florida to share with us um, all that they've got going on, which is so much. So welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourselves and what's Johnny Appleseed Organic and Johnny Appleseed Authentic. 
Well, I'd love to do that. This is Jeff, and I'm the founder of Johnny Appleseed Organic and Authentic, and it's real easy to try to understand. Authentic refers to the actual tree, the last living tree that Johnny Appleseed planted, uh, which is in Ashland County, Ohio, that's still living today, um, which is where we get our uh, buds from and then our cuttings from to graft our authentic Johnny Appleseed trees. And then Johnny Appleseed Organic has a much broader uh, meaning, and it's all about the organic gardening that we do in our farm uh, in Georgia, which is about, I guess, about 30 minutes from where we're sitting right here. I love how you introduced yourself because nothing drives me crazier than listening to two podcasters who have similar voices and I'm like, who's talking? <laughs> so that was awesome. Thank you. Charles, are you going to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I am the uh, communications director for both Johnny Appleseed Authentic and Johnny Appleseed Organic. Um, and my role is really just to produce educational type content. Um, we do a very specific type of farming, um, which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. Um, and a big part of our mission is educating the public about that um, and hopefully encouraging other people to kind of adopt um, sort of a more eco-conscious, environmentally friendly version um, of agriculture, which, as we all know, um, can be practiced in ways that are both harmful and helpful. So our goal is to basically um, always be advocating for the most ethical form of agriculture that can possibly be practiced. Well, this can be more timely. So my friend Patty and I started doing this thing called Grow Live, where we get on for 20 minutes on Saturday morning and answer people's questions but also it kind of goes through the time of year to be doing different things and like last week we talked about or the week before we just talked about fruit tree pruning and when's the best time to prune your fruit trees and also like this is the time to be thinking about fruit trees you guys have some kind of special coming up for earth day and arbor day and i'm gonna try to air this before that you never know if i don't have a lot of edits sometimes i'll just throw the raw episode up like sometimes like things are i'm just like my listeners need to hear this right away i do my best again i'm just a one girl band and usually have a lot of things going on but anyway so what do you want to talk about next you want to tell us more about the education piece and the important my listeners want to know how do they grow the best apple that tastes the best that they can eat organically? I think it's a great idea to start with the tree um, because that is where the brands, you know, got their name. Um, and Jeff has a very interesting story of, you know, how he came to first learn about the tree and then, you know, ultimately um, how we came to offer it to the public. So I've kind of just let him take the wheel there. I'd really like to tell you, cause it's important to me kind of how I started gardening and then eventually how it led to apple trees. And I started gardening 55 years ago, excuse me, 57 years ago this spring with my grandmother on our farm in Iowa. And the first two things that I was in charge of was the strawberry patch and the asparagus patch. And being five years old, you can probably guess which of those two patches was the most important to me 
It wasn't the asparagus. It was not the asparagus. But after the first summer, I was then given when I was six years old, the strawberry patch, which I passed the grade the first summer and the rhubarb patch, what I did really, really well in because I love the rhubarb pie that my Oma made for me every fall. And my, when I turned seven, I got the rhubarb patch back, the strawberry patch back, because I was very outstanding on strawberries, and the apple tree. And that really kind of just started my, you know, love for apple trees. Uh, it was not a, it, was, it actually had three, like many apple trees that were, you know, timely uh, and old, you know, it actually had three different varieties of apples on it. Um, I'm not going to just tell you which they were because I don't know that I actually know, but it had kind of on one side, a, a yellow, like a golden delicious apple. And then the other side, it had something that probably was a Macintosh apple. And I would take care of the tree. I would fertilize it. I would, um, every winter, uh, because in Iowa, it got cold in the winters. We would bring up a lot of the leaves, uh, from the oak trees in the yard and cover, uh, the, the root uh, base with them. So you'd have, if you think about it, oak tree leaves, and then you'd have on top of the oak tree leaves snow. And then in the springtime, I would uh, rake those away, you know, from the tree. So it was a great uh, fun for me. And of course, I loved anything with added sugar. So I loved, you know, apple pie. And my Oma made applesauce, apple pie, apple strudel, because she was German apples over baked apples you know and uh so it was just a great thing and, and, and a lot of great memories from that apple tree i've been in agriculture like i said all my life i've done a lot of different projects um i started a tree nursery uh here in jacksonville florida in 1983 and we're still there sitting on it right now uh, today where we grew where i grew landscape trees and then in the 1990s, uh, I ran a program for American Forests, which is our nation's oldest nonprofit conservation organization. And it was called Famous and Historic Trees. And we would go around the country uh, to historic sites like Mount Vernon, and we would actually collect seeds from trees George Washington planted around the Bowling Green, uh, the father of our country. And we'd grow small George Washington tulip poplars. And I think we had one, a red uh, chestnut that we also grow grew from Mount Vernon and we grow the small offspring trees. And in that time period, different people would mail letters to us and they'd say, tell them about, they would tell us about the most interesting tree that was in their community. And in 1995, we received a letter from the Algeo family that's spelled A-L-G-E-O. And they're in Ashland County, Ohio. And they said they actually had a tree that Johnny Appleseed, better known, better known as Johnny Appleseed, but originally named John Chapman, had planted at their farm in, I think it was around 1848, but sometimes in the 1840s and it was still alive. And that letter sat on my desk, I think for a couple months, because I kind of was like, yeah, sure. Um, you know, I don't know if I was going to take my time to kind of track that down. And for some reason, I picked the phone up and I called uh, Kate Algio. 
and just interviewed her about the tree. And it was such an interesting story that we pursued that tree and went out there and, and worked with the state of Ohio Historical Society and, and well as the Johnny Appleseed Foundation at Urbana University to actually authenticate the tree, which really had happened way before I got to it because newspapers had been writing about it since the early 1900s as the last tree living planted by John Chapman. So in 1995, I actually took my first kind of, you know, budwood from the tree, which in Ohio, we would do that, I think, early first week of March, and actually started grafting the tree onto seedling rootstock. And for the first time, I think in 2000, we actually ate the first apples that would have been identical to the apples that they've been eating on the, eating on the farm all those years. Um, and made apple pie and ate them right off the tree and made all different kinds of apple products. But the fun thing now in my mom's backyard in Iowa, not my grandmother's, but my mom's, we actually had our own Johnny Appleseed authentic tree. So it was really, really cool. Very excited uh, to now share that same tree where people can have the same experience that I had all those numbers of years ago. That is a fascinating story. That's amazing. That tree is still growing. And then I'm also fascinated that you were able to go to George Washington's place and get seeds that grew because now the apple trees are all grafted, right? Like hardly anybody actually grows a tree from a seed, right? Is that right? Well, so at our farm, uh, in folks in Georgia, which is inside the Okefenokee National Wildlife Refuge, we only grow from seed and we actually only grow pretty much not everything, but probably 90% of what we grow there is from heirloom seed. And we really think it's important. There's a tremendous amount of diversity in seeds that can be very, very important for our future, but also the taste of an heirloom vegetable or a, or a one of my favorites, the yellow meat watermelon, which we grew a bunch of last summer, are just really outstanding compared to what you buy in a grocery store. So not only do we grow them organically, but we grow from heirloom seeds. A lot of the seeds we get from Baker heirloom seeds. Uh, we also get seeds from like Johnny's seeds, which I know you're familiar with. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, it offers you a lot of different tastes. Uh, that you do not receive uh, with the vegetables and fruits from a grocery store and gives us the opportunity to really explore seeds from around the world, many of which predate, um, you know, probably, you know, some of the, some of the varieties are thousands ah, of years I old. I love all of this, especially kids so want to plant apple seeds. Like they just like have this natural like thing to like, save their corn walk up to teachers and be like look i saved my apple seeds can we plant these like i've had so many students do that so that's great to hear this is awesome i do love all this <laughs> i usually start my show asking about your very first childhood experience so i love how you started out telling us about being with your grandma and your whole um little thing there so Wow, you've been all over the place. You have a place in Florida, a place in Georgia. 
And you're so when we were doing the sorry. Yes, the the farm itself is inside a wildlife refuge. To but to follow up kind of on your first question about planting trees, I've actually had the privilege to plant trees in every state except for Alaska and Hawaii and in about a dozen countries around the world. I was kind of a tree planting ambassador uh, for American forests for a number of years. And what we would do is we'd actually take the trees we grew from Mount Vernon or George Washington's trees and we'd fly them around the world. So I've had the opportunity to plant trees from Mount Vernon at uh, the Palace of Versailles, uh, the Russian White House in downtown Moscow. Um, many countries have changed their names since, uh, you know, uh, you know, the USSR broke up. So, you know, it's been a really a, a planted, obviously, in England, uh, in London. Um, so tree planting is something that I believe can bring the entire world together. I think that everybody can agree, especially in times of what I call great disagreement, that it's always a good idea to plant a tree. And I know there's a philosopher that said the best time to plant a tree, you know, was 30 years ago, but all we can do really is plant one today. So there's a lot of interesting uh, content that Charles and his team are producing so we can show people how to plant from seeds. And, and it, yes, it's, it's, it's fun. Uh, you actually do get apples from seeds. Uh, you won't get the apples like you get in the supermarket, but there will be something, there is something to be said. You will get something different from every seed because if you think about it, every seed, just like every human is completely different. So it's just a lot of fun to do things. And again, if people want to actually get a tree identical uh, to the Johnny Appleseed tree, which again is grafted from the original tree onto seedling rootstock, is they can go to johnnyappleseed.com and learn about how they can participate uh, in the Johnny Appleseed authentic tree project. Tell us a little more about the project. I love all this, um, especially bringing people together to plant a tree. And it, it like, yeah, 20 years ago. But let me tell you, we've planted plenty of trees. Like, it's not too late. Like, just get it in the ground. Get a tree on your property. And that apple is going to taste so good. Like, this apples in the store, I swear they spray them with, like, sugar coating or something like you it's just it's just like the skin is so sweet i'm like come on this has sugar spray or something on it <laughs> well it, not all apples are sweet and actually i like some of the older varieties like like the macintosh and like the golden delicious that are not as sweet because of a lot of the current apples in the store if you think about it, they've been bred for like really, really two things, long shelf life and high sugar content. Those are the two things they've been bred for because that's the way they, the public, you know, wants to taste and they want to have their apples look really pretty. What I really like about heirloom apples is you can pick them and when they're fresh, they're wonderful. They're not necessarily, they're sweet, but not too sweet. And then there's so many different things that you can make out of them. 
at our farm, you know, not only do we grow apple trees, but we grow pecan trees and olive trees and mayhaw trees and banana trees. And let me some think of some of the other ones. And um, let's not forget citrus. Citrus trees. That's right. The new Arctic frost uh, citrus trees. It gets a little chilly sometimes at the farm. So it grows a Satsuma orange, which we're just planting those, I think, today. So we have on our farm, I think, close to 15,000 trees planted. And it's going to actually when it's mature, which will still be probably five to seven more years, it will actually be a food forest where instead of a forest of trees that you'd enjoy to walk through or would be cut down someday to make timber out of, it's a food forest that produces a tremendous amount of food per acre. It's very diverse, like what like you think about a food forest is very diverse in the different kinds of plants it grows. And most importantly, and this is what we're very focused on, it's very, very, very good. Food forests really store tremendous amounts of nitrogen and carbon in the soil. So a food forest is one of the absolute best ways our society can combat climate change, which is pretty much what Johnny Appleseed Organic is all about. It's showing people a new way uh, to think about growing food on marginal farmlands as well as timberlands in our country. So you can imagine, for instance, my best example that I think all of your listeners can relate to is if you think about the forest fires that they've had out west and the fact that most of those fires, if they don't take start in urban areas, are very close to urban areas. And one of our thoughts is that we can actually convert a lot of forest land that was very, very dense and had tremendous amounts of fuel on the forest floor in the food forests that actually support uh, the neighborhoods and the communities uh, that they are planted in and have a very, very low uh, combustibility uh, factor. So what, what I'm saying is they don't burn uh, like the forests burn out west today oh my gosh there's so many pieces to this that i love like you know kids would have more access to healthy food in those areas and totally like i so if you don't know i am in northwest montana which is like my husband i met planting trees on the mountainside like i am deeply worried about fires and especially as the real estate boom all these people are leaving california because of the fires with the pandemic like real estate is selling like hotcakes we're getting people in here i'm like we need major education about wildfire because i'm sure a lot of these people don't know like this touches so many things and and just like being able to combat climate change and and um nobody's talked about food for like being able to grow a fifteen thousand tree fruit tree for like this is lovely and replacing a lot of land um that maybe has been destroyed like you're saying and helping combat that forest fire like where did i want to go i wanted to talk a little bit about like how kids having access to a, a place where they could walk through these trees like that just sounds so cool and so healthy for them and and 
as like I've just been thinking, as teachers are coming out of this pandemic this spring, they're going to want more outdoor lessons if they have places they could take the kids to do this. I think you guys are totally on to tons of stuff. Like this is awesome. So I've got a good question for your listeners and for you that I used to ask my audiences when I talked about forest management. Were there more trees in the United States forests in 1900 or in 2000? I'm going to say it depends on the size of the tree. I I believe there could be more well, trees in would... 2000, but, you know, it's how old were they how big were they they might be only yeah you know a foot high if they're freshly planted so there were multiples of more trees in 2000 the average acre in california which is the where i used to speak a lot about forest management was the average trees per acre in california was about 52 trees per acre in 1900 and the average trees per acre in 2000 was close to 1,500 trees. And what that basically says is that most forests, especially most forests in our country in the 16, 17, 1800s were food forests. The Native Americans would burn on average all the forests in the country every 12 years. I think it was 12 or 16, 12 to 16 years. And what that created was a very, very healthy uh, soil biome. And what it also created, if you think about it, was they'd be able to not only traverse or walk through the forest very easily, but it also created sunlight in the forest floor, which grew tremendous amounts of wild food that they would then be able to forage and to eat. And that, what we're trying to explain to people is that there's no reason it's just time, right? That we can't go back to a situation like that, where instead of managing our forest for paper or for pulp or for wood, we manage our forest for food. Just because, you know, that's not the way it is today, because most forests are managed for a completely different reason. There's no reason that we can't go back to that over time. Well, and we could plant hemp for 90% of the stuff that we make out of timber and paper that we're cutting the trees down. And then we could grow the trees for food. That's I'm so curious about that. So what do you mean they burn the forest to get this undergrowth that grew food? How's that work? Didn't the trees didn't die? They grew. So if you, you don't, if you know, trees didn't die, yeah, because there was very little. So if you think about it now, when you have a forest fire, there's a tremendous amount of dead limbs and leaves on the forest floor because there's so many trees that chokes out the sunlight. If you think about back a couple hundred years ago, there were much fewer trees because over probably the last couple millenniums, right? The trees that they would start the forest on fire and then they'd burn the undergrowth, but it would not harm the trees. And this is all, this is all like fact-based, not speculation. You can look at the inside of like giant redwood trees and you can see how often they burn. Uh, we don't have as much virgin 
for us on the East Coast. We have a little bit in North Carolina, and I think there's a little bit in Montana, but much of it still remains, our virgin forests still remain, you know, pretty much in, on, in Washington, Oregon, and California. So you can tell from those trees, how many trees were there an acre, and also how often it burns. So the burning of the forest then allowed the sunlight to hit the forest floor. And so your berries and blueberries and cranberries and blackberries and rooted vegetable rooted roots, you know, tubers and would be able to really, really grow. So that's the what we're trying to do at the Georgia farm. And really Charles can tell you a little bit more because I think that you all and your listeners would be very interested in the fact that we're very much of a content producing farm. So we produce two things. We, well, three things. We actually produce fruits, vegetables, and nuts. <laughs> but probably just as importantly, we produce a tremendous amount of video content as well as uh, written content about how you can do this in your own neighborhood, your own backyard, or in your own small farm. Charles, why don't you speak a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So there's an abundance of information, um, yeah, as Jeff mentioned, both on our website and all the traditional social media channels. Um, but, you know, fundamentally what we are trying to do is, you know, create a resilient sort of um, ecosystem mimicking um, farm system. And so that involves obviously, you know, adjacent plantings of a lot of different species um, as opposed to the traditional monocrop operations that, you know, people usually imagine when they think of a farm. Um, you know, when you look at our area, um, I think to probably an outside observer, um, I don't know what it looks like, but it certainly doesn't look like a traditional English garden. You know, there aren't perfectly straight rows running across endless verdant fields. Um, you know, all of our newest plantings and many of our oldest ones are done along contour lines, um, and that's to prevent, um, you know, agricultural runoff um, from our operation. You know, as Jeff mentioned, we are in a really ecologically sensitive area. Um, the Okefenokee is really unique, not only in this area, but really in the country. I think it's the largest continuous um, and uninterrupted swamp, I believe, in the United States. Um, and so it's very important to us to preserve that, you know, there's a lot of, of life that could be, you know, significantly harmed by agricultural runoff that leads to aquatic dead zones um, and all the things that we're used to hearing about. Um, so a big part of our system, you know, is keeping all of our, our water on site, um, right? So that's not something that you would probably see in a normal farm or garden, you know, often um, those, those are sort of designed to shed water, um, whereas ours is, is doing just the opposite. Um, and again, you know, like I said, a lot of the rows are planted on contour lines, so they don't follow a straight line. You know, they follow, you know, the elevation of the land um, in order to prevent that runoff from occurring. So I think that's, uh, you know, just a small example, um, really, of the way that the look of the place, um, you know, from, the, from day one, if you were to set foot on the farm, you'd immediately know this is a very different kind of operation. And that's a permaculture technique, And right? the answer to your question is, yes, it's a permaculture uh, centropic farm, and it looks a little bit more like a jungle, probably, than it looks like a farm, but we produce tremendous amounts of food and, and really healthy food per acre in comparison. And it's much more self-sustaining over time than traditional ag agriculture that basically has to be kind of plowed up or disked up and replanted every year. So it's something that's very, very different. It's something that people can do in their own backyards. And it's more of a vision of what the future of our food system could look like if we over time converted 
both marginal farmlands as well as possible um, high density forests into producing food, healthy food for the public. You know, what a lot of people don't realize, and I'm sure you do, is that organic farming can be every bit as dirty as conventional farming. And that has more to do with the fact that nitrogen is almost nitrogen and farming, you know, as by itself, I mean, you know, this is nothing or no knock against the farmer necessarily. This is more, just more of a factual thing is that whether you're organic or whether you use conventional fertilizers, if you don't catch or provide catchment areas for your water, you know, gravity will take it to the nearest water, you know, to the nearest stream or creek, which then causes, I call, larger problems. So what we try to show people how to do is how can you catch your own rain? So for instance, you don't need to irrigate as much out of the, out of the aquifer. And then really the second thing is how can you build up nitrogen in your ground, which is vitally important because the more nitrogen in your ground, the less nitrogen you'll have to put on top of your ground to grow a bumper crop. So we're very, very focused on climate and the environment at our farm. It's kind of what I've been doing in, you know, during my entire career has been focused on, you know, those two things and, you know, and, and, and had the, again, the privilege to, you know, to talk to people, to learn, you know, from other people, very, very smart people about what their vision of the future of agriculture may be. And then trying to combine all those thoughts and best practices, you know, into an actual climate farm, which is what, you know, it, you know, what we are, you know, the Johnny Appleseed Organic actually is one of the country's first climate farms. Listeners, have you heard my most recent interview with J.M. Fortier? Did you know that he started an awesome new venture called Growers and Company, where they have a magazine that's printed that comes out twice a year that highlights the amazing farmers that he's taught personally. So you're going to learn from people who are practice, putting his practices into place on their farms. If you want to be a better farmer, you definitely want to subscribe to this magazine. That's going to be like a coffee table item on your shelf. And then the other thing, part of Growers and Company is there, he's created tools that he uses on his farm that he's like studied. You know, he got to travel all around the world when he wrote his book, The Market Gardener. If you don't have that, you absolutely have to get a copy of it. But he's he's he got to go travel to all these farms, and then he would look at tools that they had in the hardware stores or using in these other farms, brought them back to his farm, you know, talked to a developer, came out with some really cool tools. Like he talks about his broad fork. The handles are just wood, and that helps it make it light, but it's sturdy. It's just the exact kind of broad fork that I want. Um They've got other really cool weeders and different things. And then he's got farmware that he designed that will keep you dry and keep you out there. I know with my, one of my big barriers was my garden shoes. So he's got boots and just great things that are stylish, comfortable, but most of all, they're going to keep you warm and dry when you're out in your garden doing all that hard work. So growers and company, growers.co check it out, get something for your favorite gardener. Definitely get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt for your favorite farmer marker vendor. Do you belong to a CSA? I'll bet you want to get them a Christmas present this year. It doesn't have to be on time. I know it might be late when you're hearing this, but 
make sure you support growers.co. Um, their stuff is super affordable. The Canadian exchange right now. Um, I just bought something for someone, um, a present for Kathy from the composters because I go to her laughter yoga with her. And I think it said it was like $25 and then, it, but it only took $20 out of my bank account. So I, I probably shouldn't be talking about the Canadian exchange, but I know his things are affordable. I research broad forks and what they cost. I, you know, it, it's a great deal. You will get so much use out of that tool. Um, so support growers and coaches. Want to donate directly to the show? You can buy me a cup of coffee where your donation goes directly to support the Green Organic Garden podcast. It helps for thing, pay for things like hosting the MP3 files, maintaining the website. It's super easy. I'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening. And remember, grow local. Grow local.